Take your Bibles and turn them to Matthew chapter 11. If you need one, Corbin's got some. She can bring one to you. If you don't have a Bible, you need a Bible, okay? That's all I'm saying. Matthew chapter 11. It's the same verses we've been in for the last four weeks. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. While you're turning there, let me tell you a story. Back when I first started working here at Greenwood, I got to paint this room that we're in however I wanted. It didn't look like this. It looked blue and orange. It was ugly as sin when I painted it. But it looked cool at that point. I thought it was fun. And when I started here, I came to paint. And one night, I was up here really late painting this room. And I had to go next door to the main building to, excuse me, to get some supplies. To get some supplies uh, that I was running low on. And here's the thing. That turned out to be one of the freakiest experiences I've ever had. Because you see, we have this... This legend on our staff, a joke you could say, that there's a ghost named Jimmy that lives in the walls of the church. And he messes, it's actually true that we have this legend. Um, he lives in the walls and he likes to mess with people and freak us out. And you know the weirdest part about all this? When we bought the cabin across the street a couple years ago, and we cleared out all the brush in the backyard, guess what we found in the backyard? A gravestone that said Jimmy. I'm not lying. It is real. Before we eat, Jimmy the ghost was a legend before we even found the gravestone. Now listen, I was terrified. We don't truly believe, we don't actually believe on our staff that there's a real ghost here. Or even that if there was a dark spiritual being like that, if it did exist, that it would have any power over God's people. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us and he's the top dog in that category, right? We don't actually believe it. But that doesn't mean that when I went over there in the middle of the night and heard all the creaks and groans in the building that it didn't scare the tar out of me 100% because it totally did. And so do you know what I did? I manned up and I called Corbin to come be here with me. So I wasn't alone. So what happened? I was just afraid because in my mind I was thinking about a ghost legend that wasn't actually true but it still freaked me out. And, but it doesn't matter. It's still scary at late at night when you're by yourself. Every creak and groan in the building made me 100% sure that I was going to die that night. So I called my fiance to come hang out with me and be up there in the view of the cameras where everybody could see. My body did not like that experience one bit. My heart was racing. My breath kept getting shorter and shorter. My fight or flight started to kick in. And I was kind of bordering on a panic attack. So that's when I called Corbin to come be up here with me. And it was great. But here's the thing, just knowing that there was someone here with me that I knew and that I could trust made all the anxiety that I had in that moment, even if it was unrealistic for me to have it, disappear in an instant. It changed everything, changed the whole game. And what I was experiencing in that moment, I don't think is something that was unique. In fact, I think it's a pretty good example or picture of what would have happened to most of us in a situation that looks just like that. According to the National Institute of Health, Isolation or loneliness is not required for you to experience anxiety. You can experience anxiety even if you're surrounded by people, okay? But it does say that even though it's not required for you to be lonely to experience anxiety, it does say that if you are lonely, it makes your chances to experience anxiety go through the roof. And that's what was happening to me. I was by myself, and it freaked me out. There's a chart that uh, one of the government agencies put up that I looked at in research for this sermon that shows that if you start with stressful situations like bad job, stuff happening, uh, drama in your family, hard things like that, and then you add loneliness and isolation to it, or money struggles maybe, 
then anxiety will almost always re be, the, be the end result. It happens all the time. Our brains go into fight or flight mode for way longer than they're supposed to. Chances of panic attacks go through the roof. And the data makes it clear that if we want to find a way out of anxiety, the only way to do it cannot include being alone. It has to be done in a way that we are with other people. Because loneliness just makes anxiety worse. We need others. And I think that's a really beautiful connection to where we're talking, uh, or what we're talking about in Scripture tonight in Matthew chapter 11. We've been in a series for three weeks. This is the last week of our series. And it's called Under Pressure. Can y'all say under pressure? under pressure? Four weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus wants to take all the pressure for your life and carry it for you. Right? Does anybody remember what we talked about three weeks ago? Jesus wants to take the pressure for you. And then the second week was that uh, the Bible has withstood the pressure of history. Right? And so if we want to be prepared for the pressure that's going to hit us, we need to put ourselves under the pressure of God's word to let him teach us so that when the pressure hits us, we actually make it through. And then last week we talked about how God knows that we're going to go through pressure and he doesn't want it to be wasted so he can use it for good things, even if we go through bad things. And tonight we're looking at the end of this. We're going to put them all together. Look at all three verses we've been looking at at once. We're going to focus, right? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Here's what it says. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, which means let me teach you. And he says that because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. Let's pray really quick, okay? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time we have together. Please use it. Teach these students. Bring them closer to you. Bring the dead ones to life and save them tonight. And those that do have a relationship, God, I pray, would be drawn closer to your word um, and see more um, how much you love them um, through the words that they hear tonight from your word. We love you. Pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, before we go any farther, I want to make sure we're clear on something here, okay? I am not a psychologist. I don't know if you knew that, but I am not a psychologist, okay? <laughs> I don't perform studies on anxiety or depression or anything like that for a living, and I sure don't diagnose them. What's going to happen tonight is not a psychological clinic or an attempt to mass diagnose everybody in the room with anxiety. Now, there are times in life where anxiety cuts so deep and gets so heavy that even if we feel like we're doing all the right things and we're following Jesus and we're reading our Bibles and we're at church and we're praying to him and we're around other believers and all that kind of stuff, we can still experience anxiety. And at that point, it might be a clinical issue. <clears throat> Maybe. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. Okay? Those situations are rare and they require expertise and wisdom around that kind of stuff that I don't have. That's not my goal. What I am is a pastor... And a teacher of the Bible. So what I'm going to attempt tonight is to show us a path forward toward freedom from general normal anxiety that most people experience based on God's word, the wisdom that we can find in it, and my own personal experiences, okay? So if you're okay with this, I would like to take you guys on a little journey through the verses of the Bible that I have picked out tonight to talk about this to see what wisdom God has about anxiety, and I think that if you come with me on it, what we're going to find has the potential to flip your life and its anxious moments upside down in the best way possible. Does that sound like something you guys want to do? Sweet. So in week one of this series, we looked at the first verse we read tonight, verse 28. And we asked this question, who is Jesus talking to in this passage? 
unfortunately, this particular text, these three verses, doesn't tell us who Jesus is talking to. The text doesn't say who explicitly, but it does give us one detail that I want to build the rest of this message on. Do you guys notice the way he addresses his audience in verse 28? Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weak and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And then next in verse 29, he tells them, you will find rest for your how many souls? More than one or just one? More than one. Souls with an S. Jesus just assumes that we're not going to be isolated. Do you see that? His entire point is aimed at a group of people, not just one person. When I was studying through these verses for this series, it hit me that Jesus doesn't even leave it open as an option for us to find rest and comfort in him on our own, alone. In other words, the only way to truly find rest in Jesus right now, today, is in community. And the Bible is overwhelmingly clear on this point. God's design is for humans to connect and interact with each other or we will lose our minds. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And in Proverbs 18.1, Solomon says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and he breaks out against all sound judgment. That means anybody who isolates himself is literally fighting back against wise and smart things. It's a bad thing. Yes. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not neglect our meeting together like some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of Jesus' return is drawing near. We don't get an option in this from Jesus. Doing life with others in community the way Jesus wants us to do life in community with others will always bring life and blessing. But isolation will always bring death and despair. Now, this is not to be confused with solitude because there are times where Jesus himself would draw away from others and go off on his own for a bit in order to grow closer to God. But he didn't do it to get away from difficult things or to avoid pain. That's isolation. Solitude is saying, I'm going to go by myself for a small period of time so that I can get to know God better and grow in my maturity. Isolation is saying, that scares me, so I'm going to stay away from it and not let anybody in. Do you see the difference? There is solitude and there is isolation. We're not talking about solitude. We're talking about isolation. Connection in community with other people, especially other believers, is highly important. And it's not just God saying this. Science has discovered the necessity of community, too, in some really shocking experiments. In the 1960s, there was this scientist named Donald Hebb, and he did a uh, test for the CIA where he had volunteers that got paid to be locked in a cell with no human interaction just to see how long they would last and to see what happens when people don't connect with other humans. And the results were terrifying. <coughs> At first, it really wasn't that big of a deal. People were getting bored, kind of tapping their fingers on the wall. Not a, lot, not a lot else after that. But after even just a couple hours, people started getting restless. They started having many panic, panic attacks, craving stimulation. They started talking and singing and even reciting poetry to themselves just to break the monotony. And eventually they started having full-on panic attacks, emotional breakdowns, their mental skills started to break down. They couldn't even pass any simple like math problems or word association tests that they gave them like on paper they slid under the door so they wouldn't interact with people. Like I'm talking, they couldn't do two plus two equals four. Their brain literally couldn't function. But the scariest results were the hallucinations. The first ones were just like lights 
and lines and simple shapes like spots showing up everywhere. But then they started morphing into full-fledged crazy scenes that would make anybody feel insane. They were seeing stuff like squirrels carrying backpacks in their room. They saw parades of eyeglasses marching down the street, dogs juggling babies. Nobody really had any control over what they saw, and they were terrified. And the craziest part is nobody lasted much more than two days. Most people lasted only about two days, and nobody lasted longer than a week before they tapped out. And in the aftermath of these experiments, these people went on to develop higher likelihood of diseases like Alzheimer's, dementia. They had basic brain function difficulties, just like they did with the math problems inside the cell. They had emotional traumas, things that messed with them emotionally that would ripple into the other members of their families. And there were people generations down the line that were affected by things that those people in those cells thought and heard and felt because they were in the cell. The researchers learned something huge that the Bible has already told us tonight. Isolation is like dumping gasoline on the fire of anxiety. Would you say those people were anxious by being alone? 100%. And we today are being absolutely demolished by anxiety. It's true. I don't think there's more wide, a more widespread pressure in the world that most middle schoolers are experiencing more than anxiety. You guys are walking through it on a level that the mo most of the world has never seen. There's more people going through it than we've ever seen before. And I have a theory. I think we're just making it worse and worse with these. Do you know why I think that? In with these phones, in 2012, the number of people in the United States who were on social media every day crossed over 50%. Before 2012, if you asked people, did you get on social media today, you were 49% or less likely to hit somebody that said yes. But 2012 and on, if you said, did you get on social media today? People would say you'd be at least 50% or more likely to get a yes from those people. Yes, I was on social media today. And that number has only gone up ever since. And there are graphs that I meant to have up today, but I don't have for you guys. I wish I did. I'll, I'll, I'll find a way to get them to you. I'll have them next week and show you. You can point on the graph and see where 2012 is. And after that, the, the numbers on the graph just go like this. And one graph is about anxiety reports, one is about depression, and one of them is about emergency room visits for self-harm and suicide attempts. And all of them just go up after 2012. Honestly, it raises a lot of questions in my mind. What is it about this thing, about this phone, that even if we don't have it, makes us want to have it? And we carry it around all day, and it offers so much to us, but it ends up taking away so much more than it offers. I think the answer is isolation. It promises us, phones and social media promises us that, promise us that they will connect us to other people. But what they actually deliver is division from each other. And now we've built an entire culture around these things where true connection isn't valued like it used to be with other people face to face. Whether we have a phone or not, I think we have come to think that we can control a situation when we avoid it. Because the, the number of people that have had phones in this culture have learned that so much that even people who don't have phones are feeling it. I sit down with students, and it feels like it's every week that this happens, who have problems with their friends, issues and drama in their friend groups, but they won't sit down and talk with them about it in person. They just do everything over text, or maybe they don't do anything whatsoever, and they just avoid it all. And then they say that's because they're so afraid of messing up their words in person, or maybe even getting overly emotional, that it feels like texting will help them eliminate those risks. And take away the pain of a hard face-to-face -face conversation. Or maybe even avoiding the conversation will let it fix it because it just blows over and nothing, you know, it just resolves itself. 
But what this is all actually doing to us is just making everything worse. Because here's the deal, guys. There is no true healing between people who have offenses between each other without human connection. The hard things you're going through with your friends will not be fixed virtually. You've got to get in front of them and talk to them face to face. Look at me. Deep down, we all want friends. I get it. I want friends too. We all want interactions with others. We all want to belong. And yet, though we want these things, I think we let our anxiety about what might happen or might go wrong, we let that plop us down in front of our phones like this or avoid things by going away on our own even if we don't have a phone to get away from the, the conflict because it makes us think we can skip around the pain, skip around the difficulty and the pressure of a face-to-face friendship and still be able to get all of the positive things we want out of that friendship. But it doesn't work. What we end up with is burned bridges, worse feelings, and more anxiety because of isolation. The cure for anxiety in Jesus is connection with his people, not isolation. Which is why Jesus just assumes that it's a group of people he's talking to. And do you know why this is the case? Because joining in with other people, especially other believers, and fighting for a culture that's centered around Jesus which, by the way, is what the church is supposed to do, joining together and fighting for a culture centered around Jesus, it gives people a purpose. And when a group of people have a purpose, anxiety virtually drops off the map. Over 200 years have been filled with scientists studying whether or not suicide rates are affected by if a country is at war or if it's at peace. Back in 1897 is when the first one that's recorded has ever been done. And in 2020, the U.S., I think it's called the U.S. uh, National Library of Medicine, They found that in wartime, when a country's at war, suicide rates drop anywhere from 43 to 52%, depending on the war and why it's being fought. Think about that for a second. The goal of defending their homeland together gave people a purpose that made the world better. And as a result, they stopped isolating from each other. They stopped just looking at themselves so much. And the darkest result of anxiety and depression, which is suicide, that's the worst it gets to, was cut in half. They were literally 52% less likely to commit suicide when they had a goal to focus on and a purpose to fight for the good news of Jesus to be spread around the world. This is exactly what Jesus is inviting you into tonight, right now. Gen Z and, and, and I think it's Gen Alpha is what they call Gen, the generation under Gen Z. Y'all are the most activist generation in U.S. history. Do you guys know what that means? It means you want to change the world more than any generation before you has wanted to. It's not even close. You know the world is broken, and you guys want a hand in leading it out of the darkness and into a really cool, bright future, especially with Jesus for a lot of the believers in Gen Z. But the thing that makes it funny to me is you're also the most isolated generation that the world has ever seen. You want to see the world change, but you don't want to do it together. Because people are hard. People are difficult. It's a challenge. But listen, we cannot change the world in isolation. Your life will not change when you're by yourself. Hiding the darkest parts of your life to avoid conflict. You guys remember last week how we said the problem starts in us? Suffering exists because we get the choice about whether or not we're going to choose to trust Jesus or do our own thing, which would bring chaos into the world. The problem is in us. We have to let Jesus change us, save us, and then take that love that he's given us 
to the people all around us. And when we do that all together, can you just imagine and think for a second about what our lives might look like if everybody was doing that? We were all loving everybody the way Jesus loves us. It would be a very different world for middle school, wouldn't it? Not nearly as much pain. Not nearly as much stabbing in the back. Not nearly as much terrible things happening. Look at me. The world will not be changed because you had a viral YouTube channel. Your school is not going to get better because you had 100,000 streams on Twitch. You're not going to change your friend's mind in a way that fixes the drama that started in 6th grade or 3rd grade or wherever and changes the culture of your friend group over a text message. Your snap streak will not save your life. It sounds funny because it is. That we're putting all our hope and all our trust in these things that are never going to give us something that is worthwhile and changing for the good. The only way that we find healing is together when we pursue Jesus together. Not isolated from each other. Now, have there been people in the world who have changed the world because of a YouTube channel? Yes. Are there people who have changed cultures at schools because of text messages? It has happened. It's possible, technically. But is that Jesus' plan for changing the world? No, not even a little bit. His plan is so much better than that. The Apostle John said exactly what his plan is in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 7. It says this, it's on the screen. John says um, that he's talking to, talking to people about being honest and open. And he says, if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't it interesting to me, to you, because it is to me, that John says that living in the light gives us fellowship with one another. Interesting that he doesn't say God, right? Wouldn't you think that if he was going to tell us to be honest and open and live in the light, that we would get fellowship with God for doing that? It's true. When we follow God's ways and we do things honestly and openly in front of others, we will get fellowship with God. We talked about that two weeks ago. But John makes a point to say this. When we follow Jesus, it should naturally lead to us being together, not isolated from each other. And when we're used to seeing the world through a lens of sin, going Jesus' way with others is going to sound too difficult sometimes. We're going to be tempted to choose isolation over connection because of the pressure that could come from being close to people and being honest with them and open with them. But we need it. We need the surgery of our friends being honest with us, don't we? A couple years ago, we did a series called All of My Best Friends. It's when we introduced the song Best Friends for the first time in Fuse. And we may bring that back next semester. I think we should. It was a really good one. And in that series, we talked about how fake friends tell you what you want to hear. But real friends tell you what you need to hear. Fake friends tell you what you want. Real friends tell you what you need. Can you imagine walking into a hospital for a broken arm and you get a doctor that looks at it and says, Well, it needs surgery. Or it's not going to heal. But that's too painful. So here's some Tylenol. And uh, just take that as you go out the door and we'll see you at never. How crazy would that be? Right? It's kind of dumb. That doctor would probably lose his license. It's crazy because this is exactly what happens when we isolate to avoid difficulty. It hurts, so I'm not going to touch it. But we need it. 
Right? Genesis said it is not good that the man or that humans should be alone. Let me ask you this. What is your phone truly giving you? How much is it helping you? How much, even if you don't have a phone, is avoiding difficult relationships doing for you? Is it making things better? Where's your anxiety at? Look at me. You and I, we don't get to avoid pressure. It's coming whether we want it or not. We talked about that last week. We don't get to avoid pressure. It's clear. We're going to experience trouble in life whether we want to or not. But the reality is the only way we ever make it out the other side is together, not alone. Look at Jesus' words again with me in Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus wants to give you comfort, guys. But it's on his terms, not yours. God meets with his people in a lot of ways, but there are three major ones. His word, prayer, and his people. And I want to break those down to finish up here tonight. And this is where we're going to lay in this plane. You've got to hear what God says. That's his word. Do you know what God's word says? God's word says that all of us are sinners. All of us are broken. I went to Peaster today to speak at FCS. It was a lot of fun. And when I was there, right before we started, this boy pointed at a girl that was sitting two seats away from him and, from him and looked at me and goes, hey, she's a sinner. And you know what I told him? We all are, dude. Nice try. And we moved on. Because she had done something that made him mad. And he was trying to get her in trouble. The Bible tells us we're all sinners. We've all messed up. And sometimes we experience anxiety because we're faced with that reality. We know we've messed up and it scares us because it might mean that other things in life are going to fall apart and we don't like that feeling. We've got to read what God says. And the good news about what God says is not just that we are sinners and we are broken, but that Jesus came and died in your place on the cross and my place so that we didn't have to pay for those things that we've done wrong and he would do it instead because he loves us that much. And that is what he says in his word. But another way God speaks to his people is through prayer. And you can pray to God all you want, but if you don't have a relationship with God, your prayers might get answered, but they're not going to get answered like the people who have a relationship with Jesus. Because the people who have a relationship with Jesus are God's children. And a father listens to his kids in a way that he doesn't to people that aren't. Doesn't mean that God doesn't want to listen to you. He wants to have a relationship with you, but he's not going to force your arm into doing that. The Bible says that you're a sinner and that I'm a sinner and that Jesus died for us. But if we want God on our side, we got to choose to be on God's side. And he lets us choose one way or the other. So that conversation in prayer with him is not happening until you have a relationship with Jesus. You've got to admit that you're a sinner. You've got to believe Jesus rose from the dead. And you've got to agree that Jesus is the king of your life, not you. Because honestly, you being the king of your life is what gets you into those messes in the first place, right? So it's gotten me into mind. And when those three things happen, the Bible says the Holy Spirit enters you. And when you pray to God with his spirit in you, things change. And I'm standing here on Wednesday night, on April 19th, 2023, in the middle of multiple answered prayers over the last two days that have blown my mind. Wild things happened. Where we didn't think there were, there were walls we thought we would never get through that God just crumbled in an instant. 
And I don't think if I had not had a relationship with Jesus, if any of those prayers would have been answered like they were. Then you've got to confess that he's the king of your life. And the last part is hearing what he said in his word, speaking to him in prayer, and, and changing the world alongside his people. It's possible. You've got to work hard with others around you to bring his light that's in you to the darkness that's in you and all around you too. Can you just imagine for a second what Hall Middle School would look like if everybody in here who goes to Hall said, I'm going to follow Jesus, not my own way. And that means I'm going to serve you over there, student who is across the hall, before I serve myself. What would Hall look like if everybody did that? Amazing, right? What would Millsap Middle School look like if everybody said Jesus is more important than I am? What would this middle school ministry look like if everybody in every single one of these chairs said that all the time? I love views. It's a great place. And I hope that you all feel welcome while you're here. But it doesn't mean that there aren't people who have been hurt here in the past because they have. Because sinners are here. This is the world God wants to be. It's the world that he wants to have us living in. Where everybody loves each other more than they love themselves. That's only possible together through Jesus. So if you're in this room and you have never started a relationship with Jesus tonight, then the relationship you need to work on, the togetherness you need to understand is that you and God are not on the same page. You're a sinner, worthy of death, because that's what sin is worthy of, but Jesus died for you. And so you, in this moment, can start a relationship with Jesus tonight for the first time. So if that's you, and you've never told, you've never had a day in your life, not one time, where you told God, I know I'm a sinner, and I believe you rose from the dead, and I'm willing to say you are the king of my life today for the first time. If that's you and you've never done that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. When we're done with that, we're going to do one more thing, and we're going to finish up for tonight. So I need everybody to sit back in their chairs, close your eyes, bow your heads for a second. And if you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you would like to start a relationship with Jesus, you for the first time want to admit that you're a sinner, you want to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and you want to confess that he's the king of your life, with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is how you do that. You tell God, I know I'm a sinner. So tell him where you sit. You tell him, I believe that you rose Jesus, that Jesus rose from the dead. And that saves me. And so I confess that you're the king of my life, not me. Come into my heart and save me tonight, Jesus. If that's you and you did that tonight, it's the first time in your life you've ever done that before. Would you just look at my eyes real quick? Just look up at me to let me know that you prayed that prayer tonight for the first time. Okay? We'll see you. Listen, if that's you, the next step is showing people you made that decision through baptism. So let's talk about it. Because tonight you came in here dead and Jesus brought you back to life. And if you've done that recently, you've looked up at me or you had another day in your life where you told people that you followed Jesus for the first time. It's time to show others through baptism. Joining the team. You've been drafted by Jesus onto his team, but you've got to put the uniform on now. And that's what baptism is. So don't leave this place without talking to an adult about what baptism could look like for you. And if you do have a relationship with Jesus and you've been baptized to show people that you have that relationship with Jesus, and even if you're not on any of those, in any of those places, and you're looking down, I want you to look up at me right now, which would probably mean everybody. Go ahead and look up at me. Your life is not your own. 
It's God's. And God loves you enough to set everything up to where if you just listen to what he says, he will lead you to good. He will lead you to life. But you've got to make that choice to decide I'm going to follow him, not me. I'm not going to follow my own way. And when you do, you're going to find that there are really good, awesome things he has for you. And isolation is not one of them. The church is God's plan A for our time in history. He wants to save the world through his people telling people about what he's done for us. And it's a really cool, really cool mission and purpose to get on board with. So jump in. Find a way to get plugged in here. In a couple weeks, we're going to have a meeting after church where we talk about how if you want to serve on this stage and play music with us. I, would, I dream of a day where I get off this stage and everybody up here is middle schoolers. I think that would be so cool, at least for music. I'm still going to preach to you guys. <laughs> but I dream of a day where there are middle schoolers up here telling their own story about how Jesus changed their life and flipped everything upside down for them in the best ways. I dream of the day where you guys own this ministry and lead it. And I give you what you need to lead your friends to know and follow Jesus. But you got to choose that you're going to do his way, not yours, for that kind of stuff to happen. You've got to get past the anxiety by saying, I'm going to go through that anxiety and let Jesus carry me, even if it's scary. I'm not going to isolate myself. The only way forward is together. And if there's people in your life that you've been putting off and avoiding because you're afraid of the pain of the relationship with them, you need to fix that and talk to them, reconcile with them. My prayer for this message would be, has been that God would tell you who you need to fix things with. So that you don't have to be isolated anymore. You weren't made for that. That's why it feels bad. So whoever it is, I don't want you to leave this place without making a plan to find them and fix it. To be united in a way that sin has not allowed us to do, but Jesus has freed us to do. And for the people in this room who started a relationship with Jesus tonight, I want to celebrate with them for the, the life that came into this room for the first time tonight. It's really cool. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to wrap it up for tonight. I have one more announcement, but I want you to understand, we do this together. There's a poster in the front room that has our rules for this house. And you know what one of them is? Nobody sits alone. Nobody sits alone here. The next one says, we're not fake in this house. And when those two things happen, this togetherness we've been talking about will happen here in Fuse all the time. And it will be attractive and people will want to be a part of it. So I, my challenge to you is to live those rules out, not only here, but in everyday life. Let's pray together and we'll finish. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these students. I pray that you would um, just help them to understand that isolation will not help them, that they need connection with others and that you give them the freedom and the ability to do that. And most of all, God, that they need a connection with you to not isolate away from you. I pray that you would help them. To, to grow closer to you, to make decisions they need to make, to eliminate distractions that pull away from you, and that most of all, the, re the relationships that need reconciled, whether that's between you and them or them and other people, would all be reconciled, God, and be healed. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.